0: Hello and welcome to our discussion about how the not-for-profit and charity sector in Australia is navigating the potentially perilous impact of COVID-19. In the second episode, we're looking at some of the options for the sector in these very uncertain and challenging times. Here to help us, our guests are Anna Longley, the Assistant Commissioner General Counsel at the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, Sarah Wickham, Policy and Research Director at Philanthropy Australia, and Sophie Gibbons, Executive Director at Advisory and Investment Firm, Corda Mentha Corporate. And I'm Nick Richardson from Philanthropy Australia. One of the questions that some organisations will sadly have to confront is that they will be insolvent, or they're certainly very close to becoming insolvent. Anna, I wonder if you can give us a sense of what the requirements are if an organisation is in that situation, please.
1: Yes, I agree. Unfortunately, there will be some situations whereby charities will find themselves um, with very limited options going forward. Uh, From an ACNC registration point of view, though, I think it is important to understand what happens when a charity is seeking to wind up or must wind up. It needs to seek revocation of the ACNC registration and potentially registration with relevant state bodies or, or indeed ASIC. Uh, it must also distribute any charitable assets that it still has in accordance with its governing documents. And that is extremely important, uh, such that assets that were donated for charitable purposes are continued to be used within the charity sector. We have material on the acnc.gov.au website Uh, that help charities face with financial difficulties, including some of these steps they need to go through
0: in order to wind up. Sophie, from your perspective at Cordamentha, what's what's your advice?
2: I think the first thing I would say, Nick, is it's really important to recognise that, you know, these are confronting moments for any organisation. And certainly for a not-for-profit, this is an incredibly difficult time. Typically, these organisations have observed their corporate governance responsibilities and now they find find themselves in a, a very dire financial predicament. You know, above all else, we would suggest don't be too proud to ask for help. Anna has referred to some of, I guess, the legal obligations and the process steps that you would go through in an insolvency situation. But keep in mind that not-for-profits are in the business of providing help to others and to our communities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at this time, you really do deserve to ask for some yourself. And there's plenty of avenues you can go down to get that help. As a rule of thumb... You know, the earlier you begin the process, the better the chance that you have of a future and that you have of limiting your liabilities. Don't let your creditors and your liabilities get out of control during this time. If you think that you are heading for trouble, and certainly if you have been reviewing your financials and keeping control of those, as James referenced in an earlier podcast, you should have a good view of whether um, you are able to repay your debts or not. Um, Take action early. Signal that you need to discuss your options. The earlier you're discussing those options and that you're honest with your creditors, Nick, as well, the more willing they will be likely to support you and your plan throughout this time.
0: Thank you, Sophie. So in terms of that general practical advice, are there priorities these organisations should focus on in the coming financial year that can help with their recovery or alleviate the predicament they're in?
2: Absolutely, Nick, there certainly are. Look, we spoke briefly in the first podcast about planning and about reforecasting your financial position. It's incredibly important to recognise that really no one knows how long the impacts of COVID-19 will last, and that's regardless of sector and industry. Our private clients have as much certainty to deal with as the not-for-profit sector and the government sector at the moment. It's an incredibly uncertain time. Mm -hmm. So in times of uncertainty, what we would encourage not-for-profits to be doing is no matter how small you are as an organization, run a worst and best case scenario for this financial year. Look at things like how bad could it get in terms of your donation income. Be realistic about how bad it could get in terms of a reduction in the number of volunteer hours or a um, increase of of costs in certain areas or, in fact, an increase of demand in the sector. And in your worst case scenario, really ask the question, could you still cover your costs? Mm. And if the answer is no, then the first thing we would recommend you doing is identify what is essential spending and what could be reduced or, in fact, stopped, recognising that stopping services in a not-for-profit industry is a very difficult decision to make, but here we're encouraging you to think about long-term survival and recognizing that some difficult short or medium-term priorities will need to be set in order to achieve that. So get comfortable making those decisions pretty quickly and share the load of those decisions with your board and with your leadership team within the not-for-profit itself We would also encourage any organisation at the moment to really be focusing on what costs and liabilities you do have. It's a very unpleasant thing to think about cutting costs, but it's a necessary one if you think about the medium to long-term outcomes you're pursuing. And if it's at all possible, try to establish a financial buffer, what we'd call um, with our typical private clients, a financial pathway. So, you know, consider whether you could withhold some revenue or some donations to just retain some future options. You know, if things do get worse, you've got something stored away to cover wages, to cover costs during a few harder months later in the year.
0: Anna, do you have a broad view of that sort of approach that some organisations might need to take to perhaps help them navigate the next financial year?
1: In terms of thinking through their finances and their budgets I would really echo uh, Sophie's thoughts on that. Uh, I think it is very important to think through all of those things and perhaps to seek to develop some reserves where possible. From a really practical point of view I would reiterate the importance of keeping good records. So If you can keep thorough and orderly and easy to understand records, not only will it assist if you are uh, subject to uh, any reviews, uh, but also it will mean that you've got a really good understanding yourself of how you have made decisions through that time, um, which could also assist future boards as well. I think also really understanding when your reporting requirements fall due is really important as well. Maybe setting reminders or calendar notifications um, and making sure that the people within the charity know what they have to submit to whom and when. I think also there might be an opportunity for some charities, particularly let's say some of the smaller ones, to maybe explore some digital solutions that are available if they don't already have them in place. If they do a bit of research, they will find that there are some low or no cost options that are available to them to assist with their financial management.
0: Thanks, Anna. I want to pick up on that point about the value of record keeping. Some of the organisations I speak to reflect on the quality of the records that they had that date back to the GFC, because it gave them, it's given them a bit of an insight into um, what happened then and given them some confidence that they'll emerge from the other side of this as well. Sophie, from your point of view, do you think the GFC has relevance for the sector in this circumstance, or is it something that's kind of quite different and organisations need to think differently accordingly?
2: Absolutely, Nick. Look, what the GFC and COVID-19 really have in common is that it's a very unprecedented situation. There are absolutely some differences. Um, One of the real differences is how hard COVID-19 is forecast to impact Australia economically. You know, the GFC clearly had significant global consequences. COVID-19 at the moment is um, unique in how broad the impacts really are and the fact that there's really no one individual or sector that is immune to the impacts of COVID-19. So that's a little bit different. But, you know, the themes really are the same in terms of uncertainty. And um, in times of performance pressure, we would really give the same advice. There are certainly things we can learn from the GFC. And the first, and we've referenced it in the earlier podcast is this term of cash is king any organization regardless of how big they are that is spending more that that is coming in the door is going to find themselves very quickly in trouble so closely controlling what has been spent and by whom is incredibly important so we would suggest for non- not-for-profits at this time. If you're a large organization, it might be a financial controller. If you're a small organization, it might be a nominated member of your team or even an external business accountant. But monitor and control who is spending money in your organization and consider reviewing your cash position even as frequently as weekly. That may seem like overkill, but things are changing at the moment, you know, daily, weekly. Keep control of what you're spending. You can't manage what you don't measure. So make sure you've got a good hold on what is coming in the door and what is going out the door in your organization. The second thing that we'd say is, it's easy to say, but harder to do, but remain flexible during this time. There's certain funding streams for -for not-for-profits that you know will and have already been cut off by global events like COVID-19 but so too do you know big events like the GFC so too do innovations come with them I think three years in the past concepts like crowdfunding for example didn't even exist so really think about new ways to potentially source revenue because there may be some avenues that in smoother waters you haven't yet considered as an organization And the final thing that we would say, and I'd really like to emphasise this point, Nick, is don't be afraid to seek support and don't be too proud to seek support. Most organisations, again, regardless of who they are and what end of town they sit at, will need to be taking advantage of support packages during this time. So really keep across what's available in the not-for-profit sector. Things are changing rapidly. If you're a larger organisation, make sure you have all the voices at the decision-making table, include the financial points of view, include the people points of view, include the operational points of view. And if you're a smaller organisation, those external advisors we've referenced, such as a business accountant or a lawyer using the ACNC and Philanthropy Australia resources, you know, those things are going to be worth their weight in gold during this time. No one should be going at alone, Nick.
0: Thanks, Sophie. Anna, I saw you nodding a lot there. Um, Is there anything in particular that you wanted to pick up on to emphasise or amplify?
1: I think some of Sophie's points in particular around making sure the voices are all heard around decision-making is very important. From a charity point of view, quite a number of them will have members as well. It's important to communicate with members what your plans are, what perhaps some of the financial pressures might be um, and ensure that you're open and transparent um, with your membership base. On another point, if I think for a second about reserves, it would be great if charities could bring about a reserve situation right now, although I think what's probably more likely is that they'll be needing to dip into previous reserves that they've already got. But it is important that charities are very careful about the use of those funds. It may be that some funds had been set aside for particular purposes or that they had been uh, donated for particular purposes. And so charities must bear that in mind when seeking to use those reserves it's important to be fully aware of, of the conditions that were put upon the funds, and um, perhaps even if that's uh, by way of government grants, for instance, and also the circumstances under which the funds had been obtained.
0: Uh, there was a the point that Sophie made a moment ago and that we alluded to in the first episode about diversifying um, or finding alternative funding and joining or collaborating or becoming partners with with like-minded organisations. Sarah Wickham from Philanthropy Australia, you have a particular view about the value of this or the likelihood of this in this particular circumstance.
3: Mergers are certainly a logical extension of thought during this time and, and do make pragmatic sense. Um, in terms of consolidating um, service delivery to communities in some areas, but I guess it is important to say that Emerges is not a stopgap or an entire solution for the for the sector. But We do know that mergers work well when they um, bring together organisations that share existing values, missions and synergies between the the community cohorts they work for. And mergers do enable charities to either scale up their work and also to share sort of administrative and back-end resources to to ensure that, um, you know, a lot of organisations can focus on their funds in different areas around innovation and growth. I know, um, you know, in the sort of last... Decade we have seen um, some case studies of successful not-for-profit mergers and acquisitions in Australia. There was a well-publicised merger that um, listeners of this podcast can look up between White Lion and Fruit to Work in 2017. They kept both entities separate and delivering on their work, but shared administration, office space, and other back-end support um, and resources, and that has been a successful case study. Another good um, example is Save the Children Australia. Under the leadership of the CEO, Paul Reynolds, there has been um, a really strategic program of mergers with smaller like-minded organizations with the aim of using the size and the reach of Save the Children Australia to help successful social enterprises achieve greater scale and capacity. And uh, you may have noted in the sector, there was an announcement just recently that say the Children Australia is merging with a not-for-profit digital library called Library for All. This is a a great, I think, innovation or opportunity where Library for All will be able to significantly scale their work to prevent disengaged children from dropping out of their schooling and education during COVID-19. So mergers like this one, drive edtech innovation in the sector and enable their work to reach a more global audience so I think from Philanthropy Australia's perspective, funders working with the the organisations they support to identify where there is either opportunities for merger and growth, but really um, to fund the support that's required for a successful merger. As we have seen in the corporate sector, mergers are complex. They don't happen for free. In order to support both the livelihoods of the workers working in organisations that are potentially going to merge and ensure that the service delivery and programs and support that they provide to the community continue, it does come at not only a skill set, but it comes at a cost as well. So if philanthropists are genuine partners With the charities that they fund and want to see them um, remain viable and the impact they give to communities, there is a role that they can play to provide the funding support and expertise required beyond the advice that we get from the regulator and other providers but provide meaningful um, support in rolling out these type of acquisitions or even growth opportunities within the organisations.
1: I'd like to echo Sarah's thoughts on the idea of pooling resources and and knowledge where that's possible between organisations. I do want to point out, though, that charities do need to be very mindful of how they bring this about. There is a risk they need to consider around collaboration, perhaps altering a charity's purpose, such that they may no longer be entitled to the charitable subtype registration. Uh, A registered charity also must continue to be not-for-profit and maintain a charitable purpose for the public benefit. And that's very important to consider if some of this resource pooling occurs perhaps with um, a for-profit entity. Each charity in considering the pooling of resources or perhaps even a merger does have to be careful that that doesn't change the charity registration or indeed if they think that it might, uh, there should be further discussion with the ACNC. Perhaps, in the case of a merger, for instance, where two entities uh, may become a single entity, there may need to be a new charity registration application made um, and perhaps a revocation of the existing registration. So it is important, again, for responsible persons, so boards and directors, for instance, to do their proper due diligence ahead of any proposed collaboration, be sure about the partner organisation and also what the impacts may be on their charity registration.
0: Thanks, Anna. I'd like to ask one final question, if you don't mind. What's life like after insolvency for an organisation and a director? There is hope. There is scope for other activities. It's not the end of the world. Yeah? Sophie?
2: Absolutely, Nick. Agree with that statement. And look, I think it's the same for both formal insolvency or organisations who go through periods of performance distress and who need help. There is most certainly life on the other side of this crisis. Historically, there has been a very negative connotation around insolvency in Australia. It's, part, it's partly cultural, but also partly due to the economic conditions and the fact that really, in Australia, we've had 30 years of economic growth until now. We really hope that this negative perception softens, and certainly during this time, failure really is necessary in any um, sector. It tends to bring change. It diverts scarce resources to their highest and most productive use. Overall, Nick, there's no one rule in terms of how people respond during these times. Industries, sectors do react differently to directors who have gone through an insolvent process depending on their experience with that process. What we can say, though, is as individuals and organisations you stand a much better chance of keeping your reputation if you limit the exposure to creditors and communities and act early so what that means in practical terms is keep up to date again with the financial circumstances of your organisation you know what debts are owed how will you prioritise those what are the conversations that you're having with those people to whom you owe debts that could be landlords it could be suppliers keep across it, prevent the organisation from incurring debts and more debts where there are reasonable grounds to suspect you won't be able to repay them. And finally, identify the problems that the organisation may have and put the mechanisms in place to mitigate those problems as early as possible. No one is going to hold you in a negative light if you put up the white flag for help what tends to exacerbate situations is organisations and individuals who refuse to accept that the end has come. And what that ends up doing is actually magnify the impact that um, any insolvency
1: or distress, time of distress can create.
0: Thank you, Sophie. Anna, what's your view?
1: I really would echo Sophie's points in relation to life after insolvency. It really is important uh, to understand the situation early, advise creditors early uh, and, as Sophie said, very importantly, try to limit any additional debts.
0: Excellent. I'd like to thank you all for the conversation this morning. It's been tremendously helpful. and. I'm sure uh, many uh, of our listeners will take away a lot from that. Sophie Gibbons from Quarter Anna Longley, ACNC, Sarah Wickham, Philanthropy Australia, thank you very much Uh, and thank you for listening to our podcast.